Good morning. Good morning. All right. Ooh, we're here. We're getting the fancy screen. Doing all the things. How are we doing? Hey, look at your neighbor. Look at somebody around you and just remind them that we're still new in the new year. We're only in week two. So just tell them Happy New Year's. Right? Check in, smile, look at each other, pretend you like each other. Siblings, I see you. Okay. Uh, If we have not met, I think I'm looking around, I see so many familiar faces, but if we haven't met, I'm Stephanie Haney, and I am the Director of Adult Discipleship here at Christ Center, and from time to time, uh, Christ Center lets me stand up here and share what I'm learning uh, from the Bible. And so this morning, we are in the second week of a series called Galatians. And it's really easy, and I did this for years, it wasn't until recently that I really understood this, that I would call it a book in the Bible. Galatians is a book in the Bible. And I've since come to learn and understand that Galatians is actually a letter. But when you look in the Bible, you don't see it as a letter because it's got chapters and verses, but it is actually a letter. So this morning we are going to be reading somebody else's mail. Yeah. Have any of you? Ever read somebody else's mail? I have. We're in church, gotta be honest. I have read somebody else's mail. And actually, I think we have a picture of the kind of mail that I have read from time to time. I am the mom of three boys, and I read many letters that looked something like this. This one says, Dear Alexis, how are you today? I want to inform you that I kind of like you? Don't laugh. This is serious. Sincerely, Ryan. Okay, so mama of three boys, when my kids would come home from elementary, middle school, from time to time they would lose one of these out of one of their pockets or their backpack or their coat, and I would be the recipient of such letters. And I would unfold these letters, and I would read them, and here's why. I would read them because they gave me a little bit of a pull back the curtain and see what is happening in my children's lives in those moments that I wasn't there. Insight, discernment, little nuggets, I would find things out. So when I would open them, I would see who it was to. Sometimes, randomly, my kids would bring home notes from, you know, to Johnny. Well, I didn't have a Johnny in my house, so that was always a little confusing how they ended up with Johnny's letter. But... Most of the time, it was to one of my kiddos, and so it would be the two, and I would read it, and then I would skip the body of the letter, and I would read down to see who it was from. Because if I knew who the letter was to, and I knew who it was from, then the body of the letter, the contents, made more sense to me. And so we're going to jump in and do that this morning with the letter uh, to the Galatians. So the Galatians, we talked a little bit last week, were these churches that were in this geographical location called Galatia. And these were young churches. These were newly forming churches. And I want to go a little deeper this morning. Last week we talked about the letter was two churches, but this morning I want to talk about who makes up a church. So here at Christ Center, we are all people, but we come from very different backgrounds. Some of us sitting here this morning are Bible scholars. You know way more about the Bible than I do. You have read it backwards, frontwards, upwards, downwards. You study it. You know it. 
Uh, and then there's people that maybe, and there is no shame in this, have never opened the Bible and read it. And that is understandable because we, we all start somewhere, right? So we have both. Then we have people that have come from different denominational backgrounds. We have people that have come from no talk of God or Jesus in their homes and in their, in their pasts. And they're searching and they're seeking and they're trying to uh, find out about this Jesus. And then there's other people. You guys have been in church since before you came out of the womb. Breakfast, lunch, and dinner, seven days a week, right? So all of us come together. We're different, but we come together under the name of Jesus. The Galatian churches that this letter is written to, same thing. They have differences, but these early Jesus followers, these early Christians, were meeting together under the name and faith in the name of Jesus. These churches were so young that Jesus had ascended. He had been on earth. He had been born. He lived. He did his ministry, his teaching, his healing, his preaching. And then we know that he died on a cross. And then we know that he was resurrected three days later, and then he ascended. And we read in the Bible that he sits at the right hand of Father God. And it was shortly after that happened that these churches started to develop and grow. I want to take a minute to talk to you about who these churches were made up of, the differences between. So two main groups, we could break it way down, but the two main groups were first the Jewish people. And before Jesus, the Jewish people were known as um, God's chosen people. And sometimes when we think about that, we think, well, I thought God loved everybody. He does. But he had, he had planned and specifically called out this group of people to be his image bearers to everybody else so that everybody else could look at these Jewish people and go, oh, you mean God is loving like you're loving me? God is just like you are just? God is set apart? God is holy? God is perfect? God is without blemish or without fault? And so originally, this group of people, that was the design, is that they could, they could show off that they were children of God and they represented him so well. But we know that over time, right, it, things didn't go so well. And then they were given the Ten Commandments in an attempt to try to help them present God well to the world. And then that didn't go so well. So then the people started making more rules and more laws so that they could stay within the boundaries and the calling that God had given them. And they ended up with 613 laws. So when I think about the Jewish people, and this is not um, theology. This is just me reading my Bible. Stephanie, just another person sitting in a chair. Um, when I think about the Jewish people, in my mind, I immediately go to kind of the law keepers. They were considered the clean people. They were the holy people. They were the accepted by God in the family of God people. And then there was the Gentiles. And the Gentiles were everybody else. If you were not a Jew, you were a Gentile. The Jews were called by God to be set apart, to be separate. So what we need to know, what's really important to know, is going into when Jesus was born, 
the Jewish people and the Gentile people were not supposed to sit together at a table. They weren't supposed to do life together. They were two, they were separate. And over time, the Jews came to see the, the Gentiles as dogs, as scum, as they called them the sinners. And there was this fear that if I get around them, they will make me unclean. So that was, in that time, in that moment before Jesus, kind of what was going on, and that's a very skim, brief thing. And then you had the Gentiles, and, and they were. They worshipped idols. They didn't have the one true God um, teachings and understandings and, and foundation, and so they were just kind of all over the place. Jesus called them sheep without a shepherd. And so we have these two groups of people. Well, then when Jesus came, people from both camps came to believe in Jesus. So originally the Jewish people believed that the law, those 613 laws, that was the thing that helped them to stand right before God. They had to keep the laws and then they were in right standing with God. And then the Gentile people really didn't know what to do. So when Jesus came, all of a sudden he made a way and he showed the way that anybody and everybody could stand right before God. He showed the way. He lived it. He modeled it. He taught it. And so now we have this early church. It's made up of these two different groups of people from two completely different backgrounds, and now they're trying to do church together. Might get a little messy, <laughs> right? Okay, so that's who this letter is to. Now, before we go into what the letter is about, the contents of the letter, I want to talk about who it was from. This letter was written by a man named Saul. Saul was born around the same time as Jesus, and Saul was a Jew. Jesus was also a Jew. Okay, so both of them are Jewish. They're born around the same time, but as they grow up, Jesus starts teaching people the new way, the Jesus way. This is this is what God is calling. This is what God wants. This is who God is. This is what the kingdom of God looks like. Okay, so Jesus is going around and doing that, and he's pouring out healing like God wants to pour out healing. And he's calling for justice like God wants justice. And he's providing, and he's giving purpose, and, and he's teaching the truth and the heart of the matter. Um, and so... Jesus is doing that. Well, Saul, who is Jewish, he's like, he's not buying this Jesus thing. He thinks Jesus is a disruptor, that Jesus is misleading the people, that the way of Jesus is not the correct and right way. And so Saul sets out to stop the Jesus movement. He sets out, so if you were to say in that time period when Jesus was here, I believe in Jesus. I believe. I truly believe he's the Son of God. I've seen his miracles. I've heard him teach. I believe. Jesus is where I'm putting my faith. If you were to do that, you were an enemy of Saul. If Saul found out that that's the stance you were taking, Saul would try to stop you. He would try to persecute you. He might even kill you. So that's Saul who writes this letter. Something happens to Saul. Saul one day is going out. He's going to persecute these Christians, these Jesus followers. He's going to stop the Jesus movement. And he gets blinded, literally blinded by this light. And there's a voice from heaven. Oh, I say from heaven. I, 
there's a voice, and it says this, Saul, Saul, why are you persecuting me? And Saul says, who are you, Lord? Remember, he's blinded by this light. Who are you, Lord? Saul asked. And the voice replied, I am Jesus, whom you are persecuting. And then he says, now get up, go into the city. By the way, Saul needed help getting into the city because he was blind. Go into the city and you will be told what you must do next. So this is a total change for Saul. Saul, who in one moment was out to kill and stop the movement of Jesus, the new way of Jesus, the kingdom of God way of Jesus, Saul, who was out to stop that, now has this complete turnaround. And what he hears from God is that now he is to go to the Gentiles, to the sinners, to the idol worshipers, to the unclean people. He is now to go to them, and he is to tell them about Jesus. And so there's this complete thing that happens. If you know what the word missionary means, it means somebody that goes and tells people about Jesus. Saul became a missionary to the Gentile people. So as he began to tell the people about Jesus, what happened is these churches started to develop, these churches in Galatia. So now we understand that when Saul writes this letter, He's writing to these people that he has been the one that's told them about Jesus. They've come into faith in Jesus, and so he is now writing them a letter. And he's writing them a letter because, once again, the way of Jesus is being threatened. So Paul, Saul, okay, i got to tell you one more thing. I don't know why this happens in Scripture, but it happens. So if you read your Bible, the first time I read the whole thing, this whole story, I was so confused because I was reading about Saul, reading about Saul, reading about Saul, and then all of a sudden he just disappeared. And I was like, where did he go? Well, name changes happen in the Bible. So he was referred to as Saul. Shortly after this blinding light experience, you start reading about him, and he's now referred to as Paul. So when you read the Galatian letter, you will see it is from Paul, same person as Saul, Saul Paul. Okay. Whew! It's a lot. You guys, I knew this morning was just going to be a lot, but this will be helpful for the next few weeks of this series because you have to understand who the Jews and the Gentiles were for this to really make sense. I know some of you already know this way better than me, but thank you for being patient. Okay, so he's created these churches, and now Saul, Paul, (laughs) I'm going to do that all morning. Paul realizes that there's trouble in the church. That something is happening that is mess, confusing, mucking up the water, so to speak, of what Jesus had taught, what he had modeled, and how he had lived. And so Paul is going to bring that up for the Galatian churches to take a look at through this letter. So our Bibles are broken into chapters and verses. So we are this week in Galatians chapter 2. Remember, it's a letter. And we are going to start in verse 11, and I'm going to read you a little section, and then I'm going to explain it, because you guys, this this chapter is like a lot, and there's a lot of things that some of us just may not know. I'll read it, I'll explain it. But when Peter came to Antioch, Paul says this, Paul's writing this, he says, but when Peter came to Antioch, I had to oppose him to his face. Drama in the church right here, you guys. If you're at all, like, intrigued by drama, this is it. 
When Peter came to Antioch, I had to oppose him to his face for what he did was very wrong. When he first arrived, he ate with the Gentile Christians. He ate with the sinners, the unclean, the uncircumcised. That was another thing. One of the laws was they had to be circumcised. To, to be in right standing, to belong to the family of God, you had to be circumcised. So right here, we see that Peter is eating with the uncircumcised Gentile Christians. But afterward, Paul continues on, but when afterward, when some friends of James came, okay, the friends of James are more Jewish people. They're more Jews that are circumcised and still fully believe that one must be circumcised in order to be in right standing with God. So it says, but afterwards, when friends of James came, Peter wouldn't eat with the Gentiles anymore. Listen to this. He was afraid. He was afraid of criticism from these people who insisted on the necessity of circumcision. Now, for this to fully come into focus, we need to know something about Peter. A lot of you know, but some of you may not know. Peter was one of Jesus' 12 guys. He was on Team Jesus. When Jesus was here and walked and did his healings, did his teachings, did his ministry, Peter was right there with Jesus, up close, day in, day out. Peter did life with Jesus. So Peter, Peter is also Jewish. Okay, so here's Peter, and he comes to Antioch. Antioch is like the hub for these early missionaries, these early people that went out and told other people about Jesus. Antioch is like this hub. And all of a sudden, Paul and Peter are there together. When Peter came to Antioch, I had to oppose him to his face for what he did was very wrong. When he first arrived, he ate with the Gentile Christians who were not circumcised, but afterward, when some friends came, Peter wouldn't eat with the Gentiles anymore. He was afraid of criticism from these people who insisted on the necessity of circumcision. As a result, Jewish Christians followed Peter. Who are we supposed to follow? Jesus. That's who many of us in this room claim that we follow, Jesus. But all of a sudden, these church members were looking at Peter. And Paul's like, no, 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 no. No. We got to look at Jesus. What did Jesus do in this situation? Okay. Whoo! You guys... This is a lot. I knew all week you could ask Steve. I've kind of been sweating this because I'm like, normally I'm kind of a touchy-feely, warm, fuzzy kind of feel good. And this is a lot of information. So hang with me. We're going to get to the fun part here in just a couple minutes. But listen to this. I'm going to jump now from this letter, and I'm going to jump to Matthew, Mark, Luke, and John. Right? We've heard of them, the book of Matthew. And this is when Jesus was here on earth. And he was walking. He was talking. He was doing his thing. And it says this, as Jesus was walking along, he saw a man named Matthew sitting at his tax collector's booth. Tax collectors were on the stay away from them part. The Jewish people did not mix with the tax collectors. The tax collectors were the enemies. They were taking all the Jewish people's money. So tax collectors here. Jesus is Jewish. Jesus is walking along, sees Matthew. Hey, Matthew, be on my team. And everybody's like, what? Why would Jesus invite an enemy of the camp to be on the team? 
what is he doing? Jesus is taking the snow globe and he's shaking it. He's taking the salad bowl and he's flipping it upside down. And he's just, it's everywhere. And it's confusing and it's startling and it shook them up. And so they're all thinking, what is Jesus doing? And Jesus says to Matthew, follow me, be my disciple. That means be my student. And Matthew got up and he followed Jesus. Later, Matthew invited Jesus and his disciples. Okay, this is jumping back to Galatians. Peter, who was eating with the Gentiles, or I mean, yeah, was eating with the the Gentiles, and then got up from the table and left the table when the other Jewish people came. Peter was one of Jesus' disciples. So listen to this. Matthew invited them over for dinner, and Jesus and his disciples, which most likely includes Peter, to his home as dinner guests, along with many tax collectors and other disreputable sinners. Uncircumcised, unclean, outsider, don't belong. But when the Pharisees, who were also Jewish, saw, they asked the disciples, why does your teacher eat with such scum? That's a word. So you still see that even though Jesus is there and he's doing life and he's teaching, he's having to teach everybody a new way. They're all having to learn this new way. And so even after Jesus has ascended, you still see Peter struggling with, which table do I sit at? And so Paul brings it back and he's basically saying, Peter, you know what Jesus did. You sat at the table with sinners just like Jesus did. That's what Jesus modeled. That's what we should do. Okay, so that's the first part of the contents of the letter. Now, I'm going to jump to verse 15. Paul says, Peter, you and I are Jews by birth, not sinners like the Gentiles. But we know that to be made right with God by faith, is by faith in Jesus Christ, not by obeying the law. We know that a person is made right. Church, we got to hear this. We know that a person is made right with God by faith in Jesus Christ, not by obeying the law. Now, before we throw the law out completely, some of you are getting nervous. I know. We're not throwing the law out. Listen to this. When we jump down to verse 19, Paul says, For when I tried, he's a Jewish person, when I tried to keep the law, all 613 of them, when I tried to keep the law, it condemned me. When I tried to keep the law, when I tried, it condemned me. Have you ever tried to keep something and been condemned by it? Maybe the speed limit? Right? We try to keep the speed limit. Some of us at one time or another looked in the rearview mirror and went, "Uh uh-oh. We want to keep the speed limit. We believe in the speed limit. The speed limit is good. Most of us would agree. It keeps us safe. It's good. It serves a purpose. It's so good. But darn it, sometimes it condemns us. Maybe when you were young and kind of independent and all by yourself, you know, you, you understood that eight hours of sleep was good. And you were regular and faithful with your schedule and you got eight hours of sleep and you were just so consistent with that. 
and then you went to college or you had children. Doesn't mean that eight hours of sleep is not good. It is good. But sometimes when we have children, we have to choose the children over the eight hours of sleep. Doesn't mean that eight hours is bad. So what he is saying here is that, hey, Peter, you and I tried to keep the law, but if we're being honest, if we stand before God simply based on keeping the law, we're no different than the Gentiles. For when I tried to keep the law, it condemned me. So I died to the law. I stopped trying to meet all of its requirements, all 613. So what, what it's talking about here is that for the, a lot of the Jewish people, the law had become the focus. The law, like, everything revolved around the law, the law, getting eight hours of sleep, getting eight hours of sleep. I just, I'm sorry, I cannot talk to you. I have to get my eight hours of sleep. Oh, my kid's in the ER. I can't deal with that. I got to get my eight hours of sleep, right? We wouldn't do that. But they were struggling because they so wanted to stand right before God but sometimes life happens, things happen. Sometimes we're just downright selfish. Things happen and we can't keep the law. And so he's saying, Paul's saying, so I stopped trying to meet all its requirements. And this is, this is the gold this morning, if you get nothing else. So that I might live for God. I quit being so focused on keeping all the laws, and I started being focused on what God wants, which is relationship and living for God, because that's what he wants. And living for God is going to come out of relationship with God. So the question this morning for all of us, this is the question. I think most of us have done a pretty good job of not being so focused on the law. <laughs> We're pretty good at that. Okay, I'll give it to me, I'll give it to us. But then we should be equally focused on living for God. What does that mean? What does it mean to live for God? So I want to read you a story this morning. If I can find it. Got all my pretty yellow notes up here. Okay, here we go. This is a true story. It's a story that involves a church. It involves a new Jesus follower, and his name is Bill. Bill had wild hair. Bill wore t-shirts with holes. Bill wore jeans to church. And Bill would come into church with no shoes on. This was his wardrobe for all four years of college. He happened to be a very bright young man, kind of esoteric, very, very smart. And while in college, on a major college campus, he became a Jesus follower. Page four. Yeah. Sorry, you guys. We know the Bill. Okay, here we go. We know Bill's a Jesus follower. Across the street from the campus was a very well-dressed, very conservative church, and they wanted to develop a ministry to college students, and they weren't quite sure how to go about it. One day, Bill, in his T-shirt with holes, no shoes, jeans, wild hair, barefoot, walked across the street. He decided to go to church. It was a popular church. Good things were happening in it. And as Bill walked in, the place was absolutely packed. 
It was a church from a higher tradition, which in this instance simply means it had nice carpet, and people were dressed in three-piece suits. Ladies were dressed in their Sunday best. Bill came in toward the back of the auditorium, and he looked around, and he could not see one single available seat. So Bill started to walk down the middle aisle toward the pulpit, looking for a seat. He gets all the way to the front row and is now standing right in front of the pulpit. And the people are starting to notice Bill. And so Bill does what he did at the college fellowship. He looks around, doesn't find a seat, so he goes right in front of the first pew and he sits down on the floor and crosses his legs. As Bill had been walking down the aisle, he had caught the notice of a few people. Wild hair, holes in his t-shirt, no shoes. He is a brother in Christ, but they don't know that. And most people didn't come to church dressed like that. And so there is a stillness that comes over the place, and they're all wondering what is going to happen. Who is going to step in? What should they do? I mean, somebody's sitting on the front row. Then, as if on cue, an elderly deacon, a church leader in the back, 80 years old, silver hair, three-piece suit, pocket watch, complete with chain, a godly man with a sterling reputation, he begins walking down the aisle. And all you can hear is the click of his cane. The silence in the room covers the noisy thoughts of the onlookers. Well, you know, he's got to do something. I mean, this is understandable. I mean, this guy obviously doesn't know. He doesn't know that you come to church with shoes on. He obviously doesn't know that you can't just sit on the front row. And as the pastor gets up to begin teaching, he realizes, well, until this little scenario gets dealt with, I better just watch and see what's going to happen. I can't preach. So everyone is waiting. Click, step, step, click, step, step. The elderly church leader finally gets to the very front. And you can actually hear people breathing. It's so quiet. And this older, godly gentleman reaches over and whispers something to Bill. And Bill slides over. And the man with the cane, with great effort, takes his cane, puts it down, And then with an even greater effort, he makes his way and sits on the floor next to Bill. And he says to Bill, I didn't want you to worship alone. The place was stunned emotionally. The pastor had the good sense not to try and start the message the way he had planned. Instead, he looked down at the front row and he said, what I'm about to teach you all you will forget what you have just observed. I hope you will never forget. There's a quote. I don't know who it's by, but it says this. What every Christian, every Jesus follower can pour into another is the powerful passion of acceptance. The powerful passion of acceptance. That's what happened in the front row. If the word acceptance makes you nervous, 
you're in good company. Made Paul so nervous that before his encounter with Jesus, he was actually killing Jesus' followers because that idea of acceptance made him really nervous. That idea of the unclean, the unholy, the sinners made him really nervous. He was killing Jesus' followers. It made Peter so nervous that even though Peter had sat at the table with Jesus and watched Jesus model sitting with sinners, even though Peter had been a part of it, when it came down to it, Peter got so nervous about being judged by other people that he got up and moved tables. And we also wrestle with the idea that if we accept somebody, even somebody unclean, that somehow we are agreeing with them, or we are approving, or we're endorsing, and that somehow that makes us unclean and unrighteous before God, when in fact, the very opposite is true. Paul, the guy that wrote this letter, also wrote a letter called Romans to a church in Rome. And he said this, Therefore, accept each other, just as Jesus has accepted you. Think for a minute. Have you perfectly kept 613 laws? Have I? No. Jesus accepts us. We believe that. We worship him because he does. We thank him for dying on a cross so that he can. He clothed us. He washed us. Before God, we can say we belong to the family of God because we've been clothed in the righteousness, not of our own, not of our perfection, not of our effort, but of Jesus. Paul says, therefore, accept each other just as Jesus accepted you. And then listen to this. I asked the question, how do we live for God? I asked that question. Paul asked that question. He said, I quit living to the law so that I could live to God. Right here it says, therefore, accept each other just as Christ accepted you so that, so that God will be glorified. So that God will be glorified. How do we live for God? We accept each other. This is my very end. To accept someone means to receive them. The idea is of warmly welcoming them. Listen to this. Actively inviting them into your life. When Jesus walked by Matthew, the enemy, Jesus said to Matthew, Come, be on my team. Actively inviting them into your life. Drawing them into your world. Being willing and open to build a relationship with them. Therefore, Accept each other as Christ has accepted you so that God will be given glory. Let's pray. Father God, this was a tough one this morning. I just pray, God, that something that was spoken will by your spirit be watered and planted in our souls. That something that was spoken this morning will produce fruit for your glory for your kingdom, your kingdom come, your will be done, not the world's kingdom. 
God, your kingdom come, your will be done here on earth as it is in heaven. In Jesus' name, amen.